open our Bibles to Romans chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, I really strongly urge you to have a Bible to follow along because you want to make sure that I'm not weird. And we love to be able to look at the text. And so if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you and you can follow along in our study today. Can I ask you guys a question? Would you rather, you know, feel feel the truth, feel the Bible, or know the truth, know the Bible? Which would you rather? Would you rather feel it or would you rather know it? You said know it, right? You know, we're living in a generation, you guys, where people come to church and they're not hungry for the Bible. They're not hungry for the Word of God. You know, we're living in a generation that wants to feel it. They want to feel it when they sing. And they think that, well, the good worship is when you feel it. But that's not the good worship, not when you feel it. The good worship is when you mean it. And when you sing those songs of salvation to God, because God has saved us and he is worthy to be worshipped, regardless of what our circumstances are, if you're a Christian then you are saved. And that is a reason to sing. And as we come to church service, we've got to be so careful, you guys, that we're not here to feel it. We're not here for something funny. We're not here for something fancy. We are here to learn God's word. And as we learn God's word, then we will grow. Just make sure whatever church you end up in, that they are teaching you the Bible. And I just pray that God would create a hunger inside of you for the word of God, the pure word of God. Because there is an amazing truth here. Today in our study, we're going to see the heart of salvation. It's such a beautiful message. Beginning in verse 1, where Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Here it is. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
We see right here the heart of salvation. You know, Romans chapter 10 and verses 1 through 3, we see that Paul truly loves and cares for the people of Israel. But they're not saved. And the reason they're not saved is because they've sought salvation by works and not by faith, through behavior and not belief, through tradition and not truth, through the law and not the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that they're zealous, but not according to knowledge. Their zeal is not in line with the truth. He goes on to explain in verses 4 through 13, the heart of salvation. Now, Next week, Lord willing, in verses 14 through 18, we'll see principles of preaching the gospel, methods of missions. We'll see that. And then in the end of chapter 10 in verses 19 through 21, we see the rejection of the gospel by Israel, the grafting in of the Gentiles. That's predicted in the pages of Scripture. But this morning, we cover verses 1 through 13. Again, as I said, the heart of salvation. Now we see in verse 1 that Paul really cared for his countrymen. And so he prayed for the people. Notice again there in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer, notice, to God for Israel, is that they may be saved. Paul really cared for his countrymen. He really prayed for these people, man. And it wasn't just a take-it-or-leave-it type of desire. No, it says right there, notice it was his heart's desire. And we saw last week in chapter 9, verse 3, that Paul loved the Jews, man. He loved them so much that he would be willing to die that they might live. He would be willing to go to hell so that they could go to heaven. And I think the reason he felt that way was because that's the heart of God. God loves the lost, you guys. And whatever you do, man, make sure that you don't lose that heart of weeping for lost souls. We see in verse 1 the care of Paul the Apostle. And we elaborated last week on that issue, how important it is for Christians to have a deep burden for the lost. But we move from the care in verse 1 to the confusion in verses 2 and 3. Notice again in verse 2, Paul says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Paul says regarding the Jews, I bear them witness. The old King James says, I bear them record. One version says, I can testify It almost seems to be from Paul a legal declaration in the high and heavenly court that no matter how you look at it, man, we got to admit this, that the Jews have a zeal for God. And they really do. If you were to go to Israel today, you would see all these Orthodox Jews with their, you know, what's it called, yarmulke? They would have their curly's hair right here, and they would have their phylacteries with their scriptures around their forehead or on their arm, and they would see them there at the wailing wall, just bobbing back and forth, reading their prayers to God. There's no doubt about it. The Jews have a zeal for God. As a matter of fact, it wasn't too long ago that the Orthodox Jews were responsible for uh, the mayor of Jerusalem uh, being beat up. Because they were, they were upset, man. They were ticked off. They felt like the, Jew, the, the, the man, the mayor, 
had made a decision that violated the Sabbath. And so they took matters into their own hands and they had him assaulted. There's no doubt about it. The Jews are a people that were zealous for God. The Greek word zealous refers to an excitement of mind, fervor of spirit. It comes from the Greek word zeo, which means to boil with heat, to be hot. You know, the English dictionary defines zeal as great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an object. And that's where the Jews were. I mean, you got to give them that. There was a lot of excitement among the Jews, a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. But here's the problem. It wasn't according to knowledge. That's what we read right there in verse 2. It was an outward religion and not an inward relationship. It was a tradition and not truth. Paul says they have a lot of zeal, but not in line with the truth. He says again there in verse 2, not according to knowledge. Now that Greek word for knowledge is very important. The word is epignosis. And what it means is precise and correct knowledge. And so they had a lot of enthusiasm. They had a lot of excitement. They had a lot of energy. They had a lot of zeal. But none of that was in line with precise and correct knowledge. And you know what, you guys? If we could just pause here just for a moment. I think it's very important to highlight the truth that there is absolute truth. And we need to understand that, that there really is truth revealed from God for all people in all places at all times. For example, case in point, salvation. How does one get to heaven? There's one truth, and there are many lies. You know, there's a man who claims to be a Christian, and he's the president of our country. And most politicians... And most of the educators and most of the influencers and most of the movers and shakers of society and all the movies and all the music and all the media will tell you that there is no absolute truth, that all roads lead to heaven. They say, hey, just be a good person, be a good Muslim, be a good Mormon, be a good Buddhist, be a good Hindu. They say, hey, he's a true Jew. His zeal is real. Leave him alone. Why do you want to witness to him? Because they don't believe in absolute truth. You guys, this is destroying the world. 22% of Americans don't believe in absolute truth. That's one out of every five. 51% of Americans do not believe that their God is the only God. When you go to places like Europe, it gets worse. And, you know, when the world swallows that, we still need to fight it. But when the world swallows that, you know, I suppose that's what's to be expected of them because they don't have the spirit of God. Although it's completely illogical because their claims are completely contradictory. They are mutually exclusive. But when the world swallows that, that's probably to be expected. But when it begins to infiltrate the church, when Christians begin to buy that lie, it damages us as disciples. And here's what happens, you guys. Rather than influencing the world for righteousness, the world influences us for unrighteousness. And we begin to lose a passion 
for people who are perishing. And that's why it's so important that we understand that there is a revelation from God. And there is absolute truth. Ah, come on. He's a true Jew. His zeal is real. Give me a break. You know, that lie might take root in some men's foolish minds. But that is not the mind of God. Right here we read in verse 3, it says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. I mean, man, you go to Jerusalem, you go to schools, you go around the world, man, they are educated, they are excited, they are enthusiastic, they blow themselves up for their cause. They are zealous. But they do not possess that precise and correct knowledge. The Jews right here, it says, were ignorant of God's righteousness. And Paul here gives a couple of reasons. Number one, they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. And number two, they were not willing to submit to God's righteousness. Now, the word righteousness is found 30 times in the book of Romans, seven times in chapter 10. And the Greek word, it refers to the state of him who is as he ought to be. It refers to a sense in which an individual is acceptable to God the way in which a man may attain a state approved by God. That one day when you die and you stand before God, how can you be right in his sight? That one day when you die, and we will all die, we will all cross that bridge one day unless we get raptured, How can I be acceptable in God's holy, holy, holy sight? Is it just a zeal that you have for some tradition, some religion? Some people say, well, as long as you're sincere, then you're going to be okay. And here we read the very contrast to that. That's not the way it looks. That's not the way it works. How can I be right in God's sight. You know, and this is what we as a society should be seeking. This is where we should be submissive. You guys, it doesn't matter what the people say. It doesn't matter what's popular. It doesn't matter what the politicians say, what the president says, what the pope says. It doesn't matter what you say. What does God say? You see, and that's the question. You know, to me, it's very simple. God makes the rules. He made the world. He makes the rules, right? And I need to abide by them. And if he says, hey, Manny, take Highway 7 to get to heaven, then then guess what I'm going to do, man? I'm going to take Highway 7. (laughs) How about you? Oh, but I like Highway 6. Bro, the view is beautiful, man, you know? And uh, come on, man. God says this is the way. And we need to submit. And generally speaking, the Jews were seeking their own way and not submitting to God's way. For God says Jesus is the way. And the Jews did not seek him or submit to him. In verse 1, we see the care. In verse 2 and 3, we see the confusion. But then in verse 4, we see the Christ. Because look what it says. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who 
believes. Christ changed everything, you guys. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. So in that sense, he ended the law. The law here, of course, referring to the Old Testament system of sacrifices and all the rules and regulations under the ceremonial laws of Israel. You see, what Paul is trying to say is it's no longer a matter of doing. It's done. It's no longer a matter of behaving. It's believing. It's no longer a matter of works. It's a matter of faith. And when you look at all the religions of the world today, you go down the list, man, and I challenge you to. Every single other religion teaches salvation by works, by behavior, by tradition, by religion. You've got to do this, 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 and that. And it talks about the works that you do. But Christianity is the only religion in the world where you're not trying to climb up this staircase. But God came down the staircase and he died for us and is simply a free gift that you receive. And the reason for that, if there was a way, if there was things you can do, if God said, okay, this is all you got to do, you know, um, stand on your head until you, you know, bleed, I don't know, whatever it might be. If there was anything you could do, maybe there would be uh, a way, but, but there's nothing you could do. I don't care how good you are, you'll never be good enough. That's why Jesus had to die for us. But the Jews had a hard time with that. They stumbled over that. They loved the law, man, just like we love religion, huh? I mean, I remember growing up, going into the big buildings, you know, the, the, the church that I used to go to, the stained glass windows, and I'm putting my fingers there in the holy water, you know, and, oh, it smells so you know, nice in here. You've got the incense and all these guys with robes and just this beautiful architecture. And, you know, we like that religion stuff. And then you come into a building like this, and you're like, man, what happened? You know, it's... <laughs> It's very, very plain. It smells kind of funny in here, as a matter of fact, you know. And why? Because we like that religion. We love the law. And they hung on to it rather than the Lord. You see, it's not the law. It's the Lord. It's not the behavior. It's the belief. It's the blood. But unfortunately, they were not willing to submit to that. You see, the law could never save It simply showed them they were sinners. It's simply a shadow of the Savior. And as Christ came to establish the new covenant, he did not want them, nor does he want us or anyone to think for even a second that through our behavior we'll somehow be good enough to go to heaven. No, you guys, here's the good news. There in verse 4, we just need to believe. We really do, but we're going to see later we need to believe in our heart. And so we're going to talk more about that. But as far as getting saved, man, it's just faith. It's just belief. We see that word here in verse 4, everyone who believes. We see it again in verse 9, again in verse 10, again in verse 11, two times in verse 14, verse 16. You see, when it comes to the heart of salvation, it's a matter of the blood. And you and I believing, believing and receiving. We need to believe, number one, that we're sinners. 
sentenced to and worthy of hell. If you don't believe that, if you're here today and you're thinking, no, I'm a pretty good person, I don't deserve to go to hell, then you'll never get saved. You don't realize that the creator of mankind is holy, 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 and that one single sin makes us worthy of hell. Because it's an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God. And so it begins, number one, with believing that you are a sinner worthy of hell. Number two, though, it goes on, and we need to believe that our sins were laid on Jesus. And he died for us to appease the wrath of God. He paid the price. Justice was served. And then number three, we need to believe that our Lord Jesus Christ not only died and was buried, but he rose from the dead, himself being God and seated at the right hand of the Father. And as you really, really believe, not just in your head, but in your heart, when you die, you'll go to heaven. There's a lot of people here today that are Christians, and you know there has been a transformation that has taken place. There's a lot of people here today that are true, genuine, bona fide, blood-bought believers. And you know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And that you were once dead and now you live. You were once blind and now you see. You were once lame and now you walk. God's done a work. How? Because you believed and you received. It's a free gift. He did all the work. All we have to do is exercise that faith. It's no longer legalism or the law. It's just the Lord. You know, and this was revealed to Paul. This was revealed to us, not only in the New Testament, but for the rest of the chapter here, Paul begins to quote from the Old Testament. And we read uh, the contrast. Look at verse 5. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, that the man who does those things shall live by them. He's going to make a contrast here between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, in the Old Covenant, it said you've got to do all these things. I mean, you had a list of hundreds of things that you had to do impeccably. But when the Jews got honest, deep, deep down inside, they knew they could not keep the law. That's why early on in the church, when teachers came in, deceivers, and they said, hey, it's not just believing, it's behaving. It's not just faith, it's works. It's not just the Lord, it's law. You've got to get circumcised in order to be saved. Peter said in the book of Acts chapter 15, verse 10, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Peter says, man, we can't do it. We could never do it. Our fathers could never do it. Why are you trying to come in and give us this yoke of bondage? It's not behavior. It's belief. And even for us as Christians today, you know, I know we get frustrated sometimes because we blow it, you know. As Christians, you know, we're still going to sin. And, uh, you know, not that I encourage that whatsoever. I encourage you to shoot for the mark, 
you know, to try to be perfect even as he is perfect. The other day I was reading in the book of Job. Job was a real awesome Christian in the sense that the Bible says he was blameless. He feared God. He shunned evil. He walked uprightly. And even when difficult times came into his life, the Bible says he just worshiped the Lord. I mean, when he lost everything and he was sick from head to toe, the Bible says that even in that adversity, he held to his integrity. I mean, I pray that we would shoot for a life that would show I love Jesus. But we're going to sin. But I just thank God it's not my behavior that gets me in. It's the blood. It's the blood of Jesus. The law was not able to save. There is no system out there that is able to save. For no other man than Jesus, the God-man, could do these things perfectly. The fact is, it's a matter of faith, something seen in the Old Testament. This time, Paul alludes to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Notice again in verse 6, it says, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. There's that word faith. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, Paul here, he doesn't quote, but he alludes to the Old Testament. This time in Deuteronomy chapter 30 in which Moses tells the people, listen, man, true salvation is not that complicated. And so let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and read what Moses said. And I think it kind of clarifies this whole thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, page 166 in your Bible. No, it's the fifth book of the Bible. Towards the beginning, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, in verse 11, For this commandment which I command you today, Moses said, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? No, but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. What's Moses saying? Moses is saying, hey, it's not too divine. It's not too deep. It's not too difficult for an average person like me to get saved. It's not too mysterious and mystical for an individual to be right in God's sight. No, it's right there, man. It's in your heart. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you want to become one, right there in your seat, you can do a deal with God. Right there, you can change your destiny. Right there in your heart, you can admit to God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And right there and then, you could receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. 
and your Savior. Well, how do you know Jesus is the way? Because he's the only one that died and conquered death. Very simple. Buddha's still dead. Muhammad's still dead. Krishna's still dead. Joseph Smith, still dead. Charles Taze Russell, still dead. You can go on and on down the list. Jesus Christ, they never found his body. To me, that makes sense. It's not too mystical. It's not too divine. It's not too deep. It's not too difficult. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful to God for that. I really am. That we don't have to learn spiritual calculus in order to become Christians. We don't have to have a certain IQ in order to be right in his sight. We don't need a higher education. We don't need a deeper meditation. It's not too mysterious. It's not too divine. It's not too deep. It's not too difficult. It's so simple. But here's the only thing that God says. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be sincere. We read that here back in Romans chapter 10. Look what we read in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so some people read that and they think, man, he said the sinner's prayer. He's saved, man. He said the words like a magic mantra, you know, some type of formula. You know, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. You know, you go and you witness on the streets and you talk to your friends and you talk to your family and you tell them about the Lord and you lead them in that sinner's prayer. But the bottom line is this, just because they said the sinner's prayer, so simple, doesn't mean it's sincere. And there might be some of you here today who are not really Christians, but you think you are because you said that prayer But it wasn't really a prayer. Why? Because it wasn't really sincere. You didn't really understand Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Well, I raised my hand. Well, I went forward. Well, I did yada, yada, yada. It doesn't matter. Notice again what we read in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe where in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The confession that you make must be real, man. The confession that you make is not just empty words. You really need to mean this when you make that confession. Notice again that Jesus is Lord. The Greek word kurios means master. It's defined as he to whom a person belongs. Does that describe your life? Is that a decision you've made? Is that a covenant that you've entered into through that confession that Jesus Christ is your master? I bow before you, Lord. I belong to you, Lord. That's where it needs to begin. Now, why would anyone ever make that confession? Well, because you believe in who he is. And what he's done. Because in your heart, it says right here, you believe he died for you and he was buried for you and he rose again. That in your heart, you believe the good news of the gospel, not just in your head. And so you crown him 
as the king over your life. I just fear you guys, and I need to say this as a, as a man who has been given a responsibility to do whatever I can to make sure that when you die, you are safe and in his arms. Make sure that you really know the Lord. Make your call and election sure by a commitment that's real. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. If there has been no change in your life, then there will be no change in your destiny. All these people got saved. They went and they said the prayer. You know what? I don't know for sure if they're saved. In the Harvest Crusade, they don't call them conversions. They call them professions of faith. Time will tell if that individual is real. See, we confess with our mouth. We believe where in our heart. We crown him as king over our life. And nothing less than that type of lordship, that type of surrender, will ever save a single soul. Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? You know, Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? You know, some people say it with their lips. I'm a Christian. He's my Lord. And they're not saved. Others say it, and they are. You know, I know we've heard this many times, but it deserves to be constantly said of our individual lives that either Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. He's got to have every area of your life. You've got to stay sexually clean or be willing to change every single area of your life, the drugs, the drinking, the profanity, the pride. Everything must be surrendered to him. One person put it this way. If you say and don't do, your words are not true, and neither are you. You guys, we've got to make sure we know the Lord. We've got to make sure that we don't make it simple without sincerity. Confess, it's a a heavy word, confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Then and only then will you be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. See? See? Paul explains more in verses 10 through 13. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, here's the way it works. With your heart, you believe. And so that means, really, that salvation takes place on the inside. But with the mouth, confession is made. That means that salvation will show on the outside. With your ways and your words, with your life and your lips. Paul here, using the Old Testament, 
as his authority, he quotes from Isaiah 28, verse 16, and Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And here's the promise today, you guys, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, then you will never be ashamed. And that's a technical term, meaning that when you stand before God, you won't have to worry. It means that when you stand before God, you won't be disappointed. But here it is. If you believe in anything or anyone else, then you will. And so what do we need to do? Well, if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're not sure you're a Christian, you need to pick up the phone that leads to the throne. And you need to call on Jesus Christ. Now, the cool thing is it's kind of like our cell phones on weekends. It's free. You just make that call. You make that cry. And he'll forgive you of all your sins. Right here we see it's no distinction, Jew and Greek. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, an American, an Italian, a Canadian, a Mexican. It doesn't matter. If you're square, if you're cool, you're rich or you're poor, black or white, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever. You may be here today thinking, no, not me. I've done this and I've done that. Whoever calls. On the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from certain destruction. Saved from a place called hell. Saved from the power and penalty of sin. You know, one day, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, eventually everyone will see it. Eventually everyone will say it. But here's the thing, that if you do it now, you get the gift of going to heaven. And I think that's pretty important. If you wait until then, it will be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And looking at Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, we see the care in verse 1. We see the confusion in verses 2 and 3. We see the Christ in verse 4, and we see the call in verses 5 through 13. This is the heart of salvation. This is the simplicity of salvation. Now, most of us here today are Christians, and I'm just so grateful to God that he saved us. And so today, if you're a Christian, it's time for a celebration. It's cool, huh? Why don't you guys get all crazy, man? Yay, thank you, Lord. Clap. It's all you need, man. You can celebrate the Lord. I mean, it's just so cool what God does. If you're here today, however, and you're not a Christian, it's a time for contemplation. Would you be willing to give your life to Jesus Christ? See, this is the message that we carry as Christians. I don't know if you care, but I know I do. And I want to go out into the highways and the byways and the valleys and the alleys. I want to take every opportunity I have to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray you would as well. And I read a story about an American scientist who once visited the offices of the great Nobel Prize winning physicist Niels Bohr 
in Copenhagen. And he was amazed to find that over Bohr's desk was a horseshoe securely nailed to the wall with the opened end up in, you know, the approved manner so that it would catch the good luck and not let it spill out. And so the American said, you know, kind of with a nervous laugh, surely you don't believe the horseshoe will bring you good luck, do you, Professor? After all, as a scientist, you know, and then Bohr chuckled and he said, I believe no such thing. My good friend, I believe no such thing. No, not at all. I am scarcely likely to believe in such foolish nonsense. However, I have heard that a horseshoe will bring you good luck whether you believe in it or not. And some people, like this scientist, believe they're going to make it to heaven whether they believe in Jesus or not. Don't be like some people. Don't be like most people. Today, I encourage you to truly, totally believe in and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you so much for the heart of salvation, Lord, just showing us these things. Lord, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our hearts that he that you, Lord God, have raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Lord, I just pray that if there is anyone here today, Lord, who is in that situation, that you would speak to them right now, that they would be honest where they really stand, that they would know, Lord, the truth, that it doesn't matter if they've been to church a million times, that going to church will never save a single soul. That an individual has to truly repent and humble themselves and admit that they are in desperate need of God to wash away their sins. And that Jesus Christ is the one. I pray, Lord, you would speak and communicate that truth today. And just in case you're here today with every eye closed and you guys just praying... If you're here today and you know you need the Lord Jesus, uh, like I said, it's not mysterious. It's not too divine or too deep or too difficult. Right there in your chair, you could change everything if you believe in your heart the things that have been taught today. And if you want to receive the Lord in your heart, man, right now, this is something and this is a transaction that's going on between you and him. Right now, you just tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need you to save me. And so, Lord, you come into my life and make me a Christian. You do that right now, and God will hear your prayer. Because we're going to have communion right now, and that gives you a great opportunity to do that. If you're here today as a Christian and you don't want to get right with God, then don't take communion because you'll only hurt yourself. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're not interested in being a Christian, then don't take communion because you'll bring judgment upon yourself. But if you're here today and you're a Christian and you just want the Lord to forgive you and to give you another chance, He is willing to forgive. He is willing to give you another chance 
If you're here today and you want to receive the Lord right where you're at, man, you talk to him and you tell him that you want to be his child today. The Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so we're going to pass out the bread and we're going to pass out the cup and we're going to focus on the cross. And I pray that right now today, we would all just fellowship with the Lord wherever we're at, whatever's going on in our life, that right now we can all individually and together congregationally be in his presence. And so you hold on to that cup, hold on to the bread, and we'll partake together.